Hello and welcome to the Profitable Practice Podcast with me, Andrea Maxim, naturopathic doctor turned healthpreneur. And every week I'm bringing you no-nonsense, no-BS, actionable strategies to create a practice that is not only profitable but fully sustainable by you. If you're an action taker like me and want to create a practice that is profitable, then you've come to the right place. Hello, everyone. This is another amazing podcast brought to you from your girl, Andrea Maxim, on the Profitable Practice Podcast. And today we're going to be discussing one of my colleagues. I remember seeing her in the halls of CCNM and kind of going through the grind together. This is my interview with Dr. Alexis Reed. She is a naturopathic doctor and a successful um founder of EcoChic Movement, which is a, a brand that does 100% all natural skincare products from babies to adults. So I think that is awesome. So Alexis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Now I'm curious, you have a background in um, chemical engineering, if that's correct. And mm -hmm. what is it that brought you from chemical engineering to naturopathic medicine? Yeah, the one doesn't usually lead to the other. <laughs> I did chemical engineering at Waterloo back many years ago now, um, but I was always interested in more biological engineering and health. So I always kind of thought I wanted to do something health-wise. So after chemical engineering, at which point in time I was thinking about working in making food products like for Kellogg's or one oh, of those really? things. It's just kind of funny now that I wouldn't touch those. Right. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to do originally. Uh -huh. um, then I did a master's in pharmacology focusing on breast cancer research. So it was sort of a nice bridge to use some of that chemical engineering knowledge and get me more to a health perspective. And then at that point in time, my sister who had a degree in kinesiology was working at a clinic and they had a naturopathic doctor on staff at that clinic and she came home and because I was always interested in more preventative medicine and didn't like the idea of being in a hospital with blood and guts and she came home and said that that was something that I should look into. And then I just started researching into it and thought it looked like something that would be a good fit. Awesome. So. Now at that time, was creating your own skincare line an idea that you had entertained or did that sort of evolve as you were at the college? Um, I was always, I'm not like a makeup girl by any means, but I was always into skincare, always into washing my face and putting on moisturizer and these sorts of things. And while I was doing my master's, um, reading because I was breast cancer focused, so reading sure. all the literature on breast cancer and finding out that things like parabens and phthalates are substances that we were injecting into the mice that I was doing studies on to give them breast cancer so we could then test our drugs. And this is something that's been known since 1940. It's been something that they use. So just seeing all the direct correlations with parabens and phthalates and skin and skin and breast cancer really increased my awareness. So I then, you know, stopped buying my regular Shoppers Drug Mart products and yeah. went the more health food store route looking into that while I was still in my master's. Wasn't really happy with what I was finding at that point in time. That was about 2009. So there, 2008, 2009, there wasn't as many options then either. So I, um, I believe I was in third year, one, yeah, home for Christmas, mm -hmm. and decided I was going to play around and see what I could come up with. And it was also at the point in time where you're learning all the skin herbs in botanical medicine. Yes. So it was also kind of selfish because I thought if I could make these creams and, you know, 
no, Calendula does this, and Comfrey does this. It would be a memory aid as well. So I played around with it a bit at Christmas and then sort of took off from there, did most of the research during third year, and then started making products on a small scale during fourth year of naturopathic. Wow. So now I'm just assuming when you're just doing it, you're just dabbling in it more for yourself, or do you have an idea that this could actually become something for you to do on the side? Well, it all sort of came together in third year. I can't remember what courses or what was going on, but I remember at that point in time, we had some courses with some of our profs who things were just starting to click for me that this might not be a bad idea to have a side sure. side project because I remember some of our profs were working, you know, also as nurses or as paramedics. And I was starting to sort of have those questions as why aren't these people working full time? Like what's going on there all along the same time as I was getting this idea. So I thought it would probably be a good thing to have up and running by the time I finished. And did you? Uh, didn't, it was, I was making it in my condo in Toronto, so things Uh were a little pared down. Um, but I had it done so that, and then NPLEX obviously slows things down, but I had everything set up so that I launched November, 2013, which is the same month I started practicing. And that's another big question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, it's hard enough for people to get a practice up and running and to establish that sort of clientele and get patients in and you're doing literally two things that require the same amount of effort at the same time. Describe Uh what that was like for you. You get your license and boom, you have this line now that you have to promote all at the same time. That wasn't necessarily the smartest decision. (laughs) I just didn't know any better at the time. But um, it has worked out in a lot of ways because some of my products or the majority of my products, especially in the beginning, were mom and baby focused. So I was out and about at, you know, baby shows and networking events and all these things. So I actually get quite a few of my patients who are customers who are, or who have first heard of me yes. through EcoChic. So it actually is working out fairly well that way. And I'm trying to, going forward, merge those worlds even a little more. In what way? Um, I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I want to somehow do maybe some more online programming for people who are already customers because I have these lists. I have, you know, 1,700 Facebook fans and things like that. People who are interested in the natural side of skincare, you know, seeing what their interest is in natural health and trying to bridge that gap. And I'm finding even in the last, it's been two and a half, three years, five years since I really started, people are far more open to natural products and, and natural ways especially dealing in pregnancy and children, other natural alternatives. Oh, absolutely. When it comes to babies, if you can convert the moms, you're golden, basically. Oh, yeah. And that's a point in people's lives when they're they're more motivated to make change because it's not just for them. Yeah. Now, with regards to creating the traction behind eco-chic movement, um, I know that you had an audition with Dragon's Den even. You kind of got into to there. So describe that whole process and what it takes to get that level of, well, hopefully that level of exposure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's difficult. And it's a lot of it's trial and error, you know, seeing what works, what doesn't work. I still do, but I had previously done, so I always do the baby show circuit because that's my demographic right there in front of me, but I also, baby shows are expensive. I also have done a lot of smaller, because it is handmade, I qualify for craft shows and smaller things like that. So I've got a lot of traction there. And then 
Um, I'm in Ottawa. Ottawa's a fairly good community. There's quite a few um, sort of cross-promotion, not necessarily promotional, but networking groups, informal networking groups between health practitioners. So just getting out and known in that community has been, and it is harder for me to get known in the mom and baby community because I don't have a baby. <laughs> it would be a lot easier if you know you're out at playgroups with your baby. Of course. Or, and then describe the whole thing about Dragon's Den, because I thought that was one of the coolest things ever, to know somebody who'd kind of gone through that process. Yeah, so it it wasn't that nerve-wracking. So you just go for your audition, and it's for the producers. And um, you're supposed to pretend that it's like you're pitching the dragon, so you have to have your ask and you know your sales for the last year and your pitch. And typically on Dragon's Den, when you see it on TV... You see, and it depends how much they like the person, but anywhere from three to seven minutes, but they typically film for about a half an hour. So there's a lot that you don't see. So yeah, you go through your spiel and then they ask you a bunch of questions and then you wait and find out. So Now I'm always curious, and this is a complete aside from the point of the podcast, but do they always want you, like if a dragon were to say, I have a deal, do they always ask the people to say, what about the other dragons? Do they have a deal? Because I always feel like, you know, yeah. the people could always jump on that one deal, but they always seem to ask if anybody else has anything. And I don't know if it's just to spur huh. drama on TV or what. Yeah, I actually don't know. No one, <laughs> no, uh, it didn't get to that. Like, I don't, no one told me, ask for more, don't ask for more. Because sometimes that backfires, too. Of course. The first person will come out with the deal, and then they'll ask for more, and then the first person will back out, and no one else is planning. And what ended up happening with that whole thing? I, I can't tell. Oh, oh, is it still gonna? Is it still like in yeah, the works? Oh, for next season. Yeah. So oh, I, awesome. Yeah. Well, there. Everybody has to be on guard. Put their PVRs to Dragon's Den for next year. Yeah. So let's yeah, know. It takes, takes a while. So it, it seems be like time between next October and next May. Wow. Well, that's so but exciting. But it's kind of nice in a way, too, because, you know, if you do get a deal or even just get on for the exposure, then you have time to ramp your business up, too. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's, I think, just amazing. And was it difficult to even get in for an audition with the producers? No, they have them. They're actually coming up again this weekend in Ottawa. They have them in across the country in different cities. It's okay. I think it's between, like, 10 and 5. You just show up. Sign up. I actually auditioned in Kingston. Oh. Because I'm from Kingston. And, I, and the Ottawa one, it was really cold that weekend, and you had to wait outside, so I didn't want to do that. So I just drove down to Kingston. There wasn't that many people there. So I figured, too, you might not get lost in the crowd either. Absolutely. Not that many people. Well, I think that's really, really great. And now I want to take a, a step back from all of that, and I really want to ask you more about the business side of things. What has life been like sort of behind the curtain? Because in front of the curtain, it looks like everything is good, right? We have no Uh reason to believe that the balance isn't there, that you don't have a great life. And I'm not saying that you don't, but I, (laughs) I am sort of curious with how it was when you graduated naturopathic school. You, again, you had your license in hand, you launched your business. What were like? What were the big steps that you took to say, you know what, I am going for it, and this is going to work? Like, what what did you have to do to prepare yourself for that? Mm-hmm. And even looking back now, I'm kind of like, wow, that was super overwhelming. But you just don't even realize it at the time. Yeah. Um. So I, when I graduated, I went into an existing practice as an associate with, I believe there's five other NDs there at the time, and then massage 
nutrition, etc. So that's, that was good for me from the perspective that because I have EcoChic going on, I don't, owning a practice isn't something I want to get into. So it's nice to not have those headaches. So I could really just focus on honing my skills as a doctor and, and having other people there to bounce ideas off too was nice because I re- what I really found, what I still find sometimes, is we were taught really well how to diagnose certain conditions, but I felt that the training at CCNM was definitely lacking in the treatment portion. You know, I can be like, this is what that is, diagnose-wise, and then treatment-wise, it gets a little more yes. suspect. So it was nice to um, have that environment when I first started, and also, you know, you're not that busy when you first start, so it was nice that I could take time to learn treatments for what conditions I'm seeing a lot of. Yes. So I stayed there for a year and a half, about, a little more than a year and a half, and I've since moved to um, another multidisciplinary clinic uh, where I'm the only ND. Okay. Uh, Three osteopaths, myself, physio, massage, and I, I am liking that environment now because I did find, while it was nice to have the interaction and support of the other NDs, it's harder to stand out and start on your own there. And there's not a lot of inter-referrals when there's that many NDs. Whereas at my new clinic, newer clinic, I get a lot of inter-referrals. And it's interesting to work with the other professions too because, you know, we'll chat about a case and I'll say from my perspective X, Y, and Z and then get their perspective. So. And how about getting um, referrals from outside sources? Have you been able to accomplish that? Yes. I get a lot of my referrals from stores that sell my products because yeah. I'm in there a lot talking to the staff. They know me. Some of them are baby stores, some of them are health food stores, especially the health food stores. If people come in saying, I have X, Y, and Z wrong with me, then they will suggest that they come see me. Um, Also, I have a few key practitioners who don't work at my clinic, but who I've fostered relationships with over the past two and a half years, Mm -hmm. who we refer back and forth to. Because you also don't want, I don't want to refer my patients to just anyone because... Absolutely. You know, it takes a lot to get those relationships with your patients, and if you refer them to someone subpar, they're not going to be too happy with you. Yes. Now, um, for anybody who doesn't have a line, I think you could still do all mm-hmm. of this. I think having that line really gave you a, a leg, like sort of put the foot in the door, so yeah. to speak. But for those people that may not necessarily have a line of their own, what sort of advice would you give to those, you know, naturopath, nutritionist, whoever, aside, mm-hmm. um, what would you say to like, this is how you can really start to build these referral networks? Yeah, I think it's finding out who your patients are talking to and who their trusted advisors are and, you know, get it, starting a relationship with them. I found for myself, like I did dabble in network meetings and all that. I don't like them. They feel really forced to me. And I found, I don't know if it's just in Ottawa, but here it was mostly I want to work with mom, baby, women in their 30s, that sort of population. And most of the networking groups were 55-year-old real estate agents and financial planners. And it just wasn't jiving with me. Whereas I find people who are interested in natural health, you know, they're shopping at Whole Foods, they're shopping at the health food stores, get in there, get to know their staff because... And I know from doing demos in these stores, people come in there all day pretty much wanting a consult from the health, from the health food yes. store workers. So they, and most places are fairly good at saying, you know, this is not what we do. You should go see so-and-so. So definitely fostering those relationships can be helpful. And yeah, I even, I think I just 
looked at different people's websites, heard who people were talking about other practitioner-wise, and then I'd meet them at events and see who you jive with, too, because, yes, they have to be a good practitioner, but if, you know, if you guys get along, too, and are more on the same philosophy, then those referrals will work better. And I know you had mentioned that you do a lot of conventions and things like mm -hmm. that. And that's also a big question that has come up is, how do I start capturing leads? How do I not just become somebody standing at a table yeah. um, when I'm at these shows? Because, you know, there's thousands of tables uh -huh. sometimes. How did you set yourself apart when you're doing these conventions or trade shows? Yeah, and I feel like that's still a work in progress for me. And I do a lot of them. Like, There's definitely those people when you're there that you see who, you know, can just grab people right out of the aisle and are super aggressive and that's not me. Mm -hmm. I have found that having a product makes it a lot easier because a lot of people at these shows are looking for something for free. Um, services in general and talking to a lot of other people too do have a harder time. Uh, one that's been good for me is actually doing talks at the convention. You know, the baby show, they have speakers series and all that, getting involved in that. They're not always super well attended, but oftentimes, even if people miss it, then they'll come to the booth to talk to you about it. Um, one thing I've found has, is helpful, and I'm going to be trying it again soon, is actually, and I've seen chiropractors do it too, is booking people for initial consults on the spot. Okay. Um, Something that I hadn't been doing that I actually saw a chiropractor doing recently is she asked for a 50% deposit just because, you know, if you're filling up all these initial intakes and then everyone cancels and your whole schedule cancels, that's not good. So things like that. Um, I am going to be running, not necessarily a promotion, but a focused pregnancy visit, sort of checking in on your supplements and how pregnancy is going for the baby show, like knowing who's going to be there and having something that's... Of interest to them, yes. and I definitely collect email addresses. Usually, it's it's hard because oftentimes people give you an email like babygirl06 at hotmail.com. Like that's not your email. Like people <laughs> people are on to that and they give you bogus emails, but some people don't. Some people give you re real emails. So definitely trying to have something to attract them. Usually, a giveaway or you know, fifty percent off something is enough to attract people to do that and then following up with them, you know, having a good engaging newsletter, emailing them enough but not too much, all these sorts of things. And I've done a bunch of online trainings on how to do these sorts of things. And also Facebook's a big one for me. Facebook's huge. It's my biggest channel. So figuring out how to get people off Facebook onto your email list as well. So let's talk about that because I think every person who's listening most likely has some sort of a Facebook page or a business mm -hmm. page. So describe to me what you've learned about the Facebook side of things because I personally am being inundated by people that have the next best thing when it comes to mm -hmm. Facebook ads and let's <laughs> analyze Facebook ads and this, that, or the other. Yeah. Um, describe to me what you've learned and what has really worked for you with regards to driving, you know, uh, 1.7 people to your page. Yeah. And you can spend a ton of money in Facebook ads and I don't really, I don't promote much. I'm trying to think like the main key things on Facebook is to know what your audience is interested in. So notice which posts get the most response because with Facebook, you're looking for likes, shares, comments, and clicks. So looking at your insights, seeing what posts are getting those. For me, it's anything tends to be anything health and birth related. So if I post an article about cesarean sections or 
um, prolonged labor. I just posted one on microbiome for C-section babies. Things like that get a lot of traction. So making sure that I keep enough of that content in there. You and also how want- would you, sorry to interrupt, but how would you be keeping track? Would you just say this post has reached this many people versus this post has reached this many people? Yeah, I have a spreadsheet. I check it once a week. I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of that week, what post was the biggest post, you know, what my reach was that week and everything. So I can, and then I'll look back through what I posted that week so I can tweak. And sometimes you, it's just obvious, you know, most of my posts are reaching 1,000, 1,200 people. And then I get one that reaches 20,000 people and 99 people shared it. I'm like, what happened there? (laughs) So just trying to see that and also making sure that a lot of your posts are your own content too. Like, yes, I share, you know, today's parent or whoever's content, but you want people to be making that connection that it's your information as well. So I try to share my own blog posts, videos on subjects that I see people are interested in. Like, if I see people are really interested in, cesarean section and how to recover, then I will do my own blog post on that as well. Got it. try to make that connection for people. Um, I'm trying to think what else I do with Facebook. Being consistent is huge. A lot of people will do a little Facebook push for a week or two and then, you know, nothing really happens and they back off. Facebook's constantly changing their algorithm of how things get into the newsfeed. So you have to be consistent. Like I try to put it, but not posting too much either because that's annoying. I try to post at least once a day and I keep tracking my insights when my people are online and I try to post in that busy time online. So then people get used to it too coming, you know, once a day and you're not, you're not going to get great reach on every post because even think of myself scrolling through my Facebook, you know, sometimes I just scroll by things that I'm not interested in, but as long as it's getting half of your followers eyes on it. Now, you'd mentioned that you are tracking your insights so you know when your people are online. Describe that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I'm like visualizing it. <laughs> yeah, so of course. It's on the business page and it says insights at the top. And then you click on there and there's a whole bunch of different options. There's like reach, people, posts, and something else, I think. And one of them you click on and it's like a graph and it shows... Oh, you know, from eight in the morning or well, it shows 24 hours. So mine, actually, I get quite a few people on at four or five in the morning because it's nursing mothers. And then it tends to go down a bit at eight when people are getting ready for work and school. And then it goes up and stays up all day and it peaks at nine o'clock. So 9 p.m. is my time once kids are in bed. And and that's so important. And I wanted to also address this um, is you came out with such a strong avatar, like you knew exactly the population of people that you were um, wanting to talk to. For others that may not be sure, because there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. when we start our own business, we're sort of like, well, I know I like this, but I think I want to talk to everyone because I don't know who my avatar is. Did you get extra business coaching or advice or how was it that you really honed into, this is who I'm talking to, these are the posts that make sense. And then, I mean, even coming up with the times that they're on, I -hmm. never even would have thought about that. And yet I have a child and I'm like, oh yeah, at 3 a.m. I was (laughs) surfing the internet, right? So it makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, Well, and too, when I started out practice-wise, and I feel like this is something a lot of people do, you don't want to turn down anyone. (laughs) You know, if someone's going to come see me, I'm going to come see them. But 
and I think it's a little different for manual because I work with a lot of manual practitioners. They're more of the mindset, treat anyone, we can fix anyone. And yes, I can treat anyone too. But for us, there's a lot more research that goes into that. If I'm treating, you know, two people with gout a year and two people with this and two people with that, I'm spending a lot of time doing research. Whereas if I'm treating thyroid, fertility, adrenals, you know, you really know that and hone in on it. Um, so I found that's something that almost just happened out of sheer exhaustion. I more wanted to hone. Yes, I still treat everyone, but the broad majority of my people fall into a few different categories. And I think that's just something that happened out of necessity because you can't really keep going with that many different people. And something I have learned, which I notice you have a similar structure as well from um, my newer clinic is they're like you have to which is something that sort of goes against you know what we're taught in naturopathic treat everyone individually and blah 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 which you still do but you have to have a process that people can anticipate if I treat I don't know Jane and then you know I go through my sort of process with her my first visit has a structure she goes and tells her friend who then comes and sees me and do something completely different like people like to kind of know what they're going to get based yes. in a framework. So I've been working a lot with that, which I find has helped. And then that helps bring similar people in as well. And I would have to agree to that because I was kind of, I felt bad at a certain point in time where I was like, I feel like I'm doing my seven day detox with everybody, mm-hmm. but I get the most referrals based on that. So if I have a referral come in from a patient who did the detox and then the next patient, I don't do it on them and that's what they were expecting, yeah. well, that's going to be a bit of an issue. They'd be like, well, why didn't I get to do that? I'll at least address it with almost every patient because I do find doing something like that, people love protocols. They love mm-hmm. a start and an end date. They love the idea of getting fixed quickly. They like the idea of not spending a lot of money on, you know, a thousand supplements when they can just stick to a detox powder in the beginning. And then you sort of add your, um, things into it as you go. Um, but I, I found like, you know what, I, I, I had to check myself and I said, I'm doing my referral network a disservice by Mm -hmm. think by getting into my head again and being like, Oh, right. I have to treat everybody so uniquely. But when it comes down to it, yes, you treat everybody as an individual. And yes, your game plan with everyone is a little bit different, but your referrals are being referred to because of what you're good at doing. Mm -hmm. So that's a very important point to be making and to check in that it's okay to have a bit of a system and it makes your life a lot easier. It does. And I work uh, with a very, fairly successful osteopath in Ottawa and he's good at you know sharing his process and things that he's learned over the years etc etc so I remember I said to him you know what does your fit and I've gone to see him too but what does your first visit look like like what are you prescribing on the first visit and this is what he told me he prescribes on the first visit to everyone don't cross your legs and deep breathing and I'm kind of like are you kidding (laughs) that's pretty basic and I feel like when you're fresh out of school too and I've heard other naturopaths say they did the same thing too. I wanted to, you know, people are paying $195 to see me. I want to give them something significant and wow, right off the bat. So I was trying to get, jump right into the treatment at first. And now I more have backed, it depends on the person, but I've backed off a little bit and try to do things that, you know, everyone can benefit from and things that we overlook too. Like, you know, I don't go to McDonald's every day, but probably a lot of my patients do. Like things like that that are more simple and easy to implement. So people have some sort of idea of the framework. And one another thing that I found was a really big I was was good right from the get go at, 
you know, first visit treatment, addressing that first problem. That was never an issue. But for me, converting into long-term patients was more of a problem. So that's something that I've talked to. It's good to have someone who's ahead of you. You know, I've talked to other practitioners, like, how do you, once problem one is fixed, how do you get people to more buy into that preventative healthcare idea? And so what have you done to start addressing that? I feel like I'm still not great at it, but <laughs> things like, so I will pr- usually tell people that, you know, the first, I'm working on your first 70%, like the things that are bothering you now, blah, blah, blah. And looking at what's, why the intakes are so detailed is looking at what's got you to here, you know, what's gone on in life to get you to here, but also what might be coming 10, 20, 30 years down the road and what we can do now to address that. So I find that you know, mental imagery gives people some help. And then also sort of same as your dentist. Like you go to the dentist and they're calling you in six months for your cleaning. So I try to do that more six month or seasonal check in, you know, winter, well, not right now, but say winter's coming immune system. We need to make sure it's good for a lot of people have allergies, allergies, summer, these sorts of things. So trying to Never have someone go beyond six to nine months without a visit. And I have a policy that if you're over a year, you have to do another initial just because things could have changed. Absolutely. Uh, and and in my practice, I typically won't let a patient leave my office without an appointment booked. So I mm-hmm. won't even wait until the season comes in unless I'm tracking. So I yeah. track what everybody purchases. So if somebody last year bought immune supports, well, I'm calling them all back when the immune support system comes back again. But uh-huh. I will typically always have a patient leave my office. Even if we're all done and everything's good, I'll be like, okay, so we're going to book you in for three months. We're going to book you in for six months. Yeah. Or I'll, at the very least, I'll send out a yearly reminder saying, you know, I haven't seen you in a year. Let's check in. Let's do uh, a physical examination, sort of a wellness check-in. And mm-hmm. and kind of staying in line with this is patients love to know the future game plan. Mm-hmm. I can think of myself being like, you know, it sounds awesome to get an A plus and everything's good. And you're like, yes, you know, I, I did a good job. But we know that 95% of people will always fall back into old, old habits. Yeah. Um, oh, I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, no, I don't even know where I was going with that. Uh, um, but anyways, I oh, do try. Like keep checking in and keeping people sort of in that long-term patient realm. Oh, that's where it was. So even after your first visit, if you don't prescribe a lot of things, just say, well, this visit, we're just going to leave it at this for now. Here's some questionnaires that I want you to fill out. And the reason why we're doing this is because I want to make sure that we get your updated blood work first before we move forward. So even giving patients sort of like, okay, in two weeks, we're going to be starting this game plan because we want to wait till we have all of our ducks in a row. And it does, it does help them to see, okay, you know, here's, here's the progression. Here's sort of what that timeline looks like. Cause you don't want to give everything away all at once. You want to keep them wanting more and more and more. And I personally love the idea of having patients in more frequently throughout the year at a lower cost than having jacked up prices and having them only be able to afford one or two visits. Because again, as you said, that building that relationship is huge and maintaining that relationship is huge. So you always want to make sure that you're at least top of mind and that kind of comes into your newsletter thing. So what Mm -hmm. sort of newsletter software are you using to stay in touch with your patients or followers through EcoChic? I'm currently using MailChimp, mm-hmm. 
And my email list isn't, I'm trying to think, I think it's around 500. It's much less than my Facebook. Um, so it's not that big yet. Uh, but ones I've heard other people say, so MailChimp's okay in the beginning. It does everything you need. It's fairly user-friendly. But most people progress on to AWeber or yes. Constant Contact yeah. or Infusionsoft. Yeah, so AWeber and Constant Contact typically runs you about $20 a month. MailChimp yeah. is a great free one. However, of course, there's upgrades. And mm -hmm. then getting into Infusionsoft or any of those mm. sort of big ones, that, that drives the price up significantly, oh, yeah. but it does a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it just kind of depends on where you're at with your business. And how often are you sending newsletter or, or emails or promos or anything out to your list? I do the regular newsletter once a month and then depending if some events going on like I'll send one out before the baby show if I'm having a Facebook party I'll send one out for that and then if I am doing a launch of anything then I would do more of an email blitz so I would send anywhere from three to five depends on what system I'm doing anywhere from three to five emails over a one to two week period yep. if there's something coming up that's time sensitive or a new launch or something like that yeah and then how is it running an online business? Because you sell your products online too. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, you ship them all the way out to the U.S., anywhere mm -hmm. else that you ship them out to? Uh, right now I just do North America because shipping rates are exorbitant. They ship to Europe and Australia and other places. So right now North America. Um, so it's online. And then also there's 12 stores in the Ottawa area, a few other ones throughout Ontario, but I'm working. That's sort of the next step. I want to get things going in Ottawa to work out the kinks close to home. Um, I love running an online business. Uh, it's nice. You know, you don't have to get all done up. I can just go back and ship orders and do these sorts of things. And your margins are better online. Anytime you're selling wholesale. Sure. And it's all you, right? You're the only person that's manning your business. Yeah. <laughs> that's coming to a quick tipping point. Okay. Um, it has been all me. I have one uh, friend of mine who's a mom on mat leave. She helps me at shows, helps, you know, keep track, answer people on social media, those sorts of things. A bit of, like a bit of personal assistant. Yeah. Um, and I've recently just hired someone to help with social, social media newsletter strategy and all of that, because that's the other thing too, when you're running your own business, you know, I'm not going to be the expert in all those areas. And I have bootstrapped my business and run it fairly lean. Um, so I haven't outsourced a lot of things, but it gets to a point too, you have to look at what my time is worth per hour and, you know, should I be doing $10 an hour tasks when I can outsource them? Absolutely. And we've been talking about that a lot on this podcast and how much even just an assistant, a personal assistant can mm -hmm. save you literally tens of thousands of dollars if you think about what your hourly rate is worth. Mm -hmm. So describe then what this is like, because again, from in front of the curtain, everything looks like, oh my God, she must be balling. She must be going on vacations all the time and people don't understand how busy this is. So what has, what has your life looked like since launching everything? Like, what are the hours like? What is it like when you get up to when you go to bed? Cause there's not yeah. a lot of time to breathe sometimes. No. And even just looking back. I had no money when I first started, like none. Um, I yeah, everything looks better on the internet. Mm -hmm, I still it sure does with yeah. my sister. I'm moving out soon, but you know I've lived with cheap rent for the last two cheap to negligible rent for the last two and a half years because things are just cutting it that close. Um, currently, I at my old clinic I practice four days a week. 
I think I was about 24 hours. I have a much better split at the new clinic, so I now practice three days a week and make more money, so that's great. Um, so I practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, what do I practice Tuesday? 12 to 7, Wednesday 8 to 5, Friday 8 to 3, so fairly full days. Yeah. I always wanted to keep Monday available for EcoChic because oftentimes if I'm away at a show all weekend, I need that of day course. to wrap up and keep track of orders and all of that sort of thing. Thursdays, I generally, because I make the products, so Thursday I generally make product for anywhere from 8 to 14 hours, depends on what needs to be made that week. Um, yeah, and even the days, because like, a lot of times I find people look at naturopath, oh, you only work like seven hours a day. I know. But even the days when I work eight to five, I usually go to the gym, come home, eat dinner, and then do eco chic until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Like, there's a lot of, most nights I'm doing something related to either business till at least bedtime, which I tell my patients not to do. <laughs> no one's listening. Don't listen if you're a patient. <laughs> but you know there's and it's there's always something to do like I do a lot of shows on weekends I last year I'm not gonna do that this year last year I did the farmer's market in Ottawa every Sunday that was a good way to get a consistent customer base though and patience because you're talking to the same people every weekend they build a relationship over time but also you know cutting down a bit so that I can now probably have Sunday off most of the time because that's when the farmer's market was because you also have to not burn out too. Yeah. So. And are you feeling that you're kind of towing that line a little bit? A little bit. I just started seeing my own naturopath, so that's helping because up until this point in time, you know, you don't have benefits. You're not – I wasn't making that much in practice and how I sort of run my finances is any – I do make a good profit margin with EcoChic, but I've been reinvesting all of that to grow steadily and trying to live off my naturopathic. So that wasn't – that income wasn't great at all my first year and a half. It has – it's increasing all the time now and it has gotten much better, but it was definitely difficult in the beginning. And another thing – you know, a common thing that I saw when I was at the school, I worked when I was at the school, but I took a um, line of credit as well, is people just see that line of credit as like free money and go I crazy know. with it. You have to learn how to live cheap. Like you don't need to go to Starbucks every day. You need yeah. to, you know, reduce your expenses too to take the pressure off. Well, especially now that, and I was just saying this to a patient today, I feel like every year things are in constantly increasing. Mm -hmm. Rent will increase potentially. Um, I mean, the price of gas is going up. The price of just living expenses is going up. And you have to be ready to not go way above your means. Mm -hmm. And even when we're talking about moving to a home or buying your own place, yeah. it is so easy to become house poor and then oh, wonder yeah. where all of my money is gone. Well, it's in interest because your house uh -huh. is too big. So and they it, approve it, you for way more than they should. Right. right. So it is very important. And, and that's why I like to have this discussion with people because even coming for myself, like I, I work, um, I work a, not as many hours as I used to. I'd probably say I do 50 hours a week in the business or on the business. Mm -hmm. When I see patients, I'm only here to see patients. But it's not like my bank account is overflowing with dollar dollar bills, y'all, because it isn't. Like it, it's just it's constantly reinvesting into the uh -huh. business and constantly doing things like that. But that's what you have to do so that you know after you've hit that five ten year mark everything can be a little bit more on autopilot mm -hmm. and you can just start to reap the rewards so on average how many hours a week it sounds like you're doing 
maybe 14 to 16 hours a day almost in in something whether yeah, it's naturopath generally. or eco chic yep yeah. so that you know, does saturday sunday might be but even i was away snowmobiling this weekend so technically off but we have the internet there so i was still Absolutely. you know answering emails doing facebook doing that sort of stuff yep and is there something that had you known it at that time in your business, naturopathic wise or eco chic wise, that you're like, that was a big mistake. I wish I had known whatever and hadn't made that choice or hadn't gone down that road. Do you, do you have any of those in your history that you're like, oh, that, you know, that, that stung a little bit? Well, I used to think that about naturopathic medicine. <laughs> When I first graduated, I'm like, I'm paying all this, you know, paying yeah, these I know. back, making It's nothing. scary. No, that has evolved. Um, I think I, you know, and everyone says it too, I didn't know my numbers as well as I should have. I sort of thought I knew my numbers, and I am still doing all my own accounting. I was working with an accountant, but I just found it was worse working with him because he would just do things. The numbers wouldn't add up, and there'd be no explanation as to what's going on, so I have simplified things now that I just do Excel spreadsheet and cash flow is huge so that I know exactly, you know, this needs to be paid on the 28th, this much money's in the bank account, these sorts of things. So really knowing those numbers and not, not getting in over your head. I was, I didn't think it was lucky, but I was lucky at the time when I started the business, they wouldn't even give me a credit card to run EcoChic. Wow. I had to run it off my personal credit card because of, you know, sure. loans from school. It wouldn't give me anything for two years. I'm actually just coming up on two years now. Um, but that has made me run things that much more efficiently, too, and to know what's going on and to not spend. It's really easy. Like, I've done a lot of online trainings and things like that, and it's yeah. really easy to just start dropping money on all these trainings. Absolutely. And to know what to spend your money on and what not to and uh, what resources have you used to really help you learn how to run your business proper? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I do a masterminding group here in Ottawa with other small business owners, so that's been a good one. Online, the one where I learned the basics of Facebook in the beginning was through Amy Porterfield. Oh, yeah. She's probably popped up in your new seat. She does yeah, a lot just on a few Facebook. Times. Yeah, yeah, I did her um, initial training, um, and it it was good and a, a lot of little like tips and tricks and then you can expand from there. She has further training. I haven't done any of the further training. And it was more reasonable than because a lot of these programs are like a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars. American too. Yeah. 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 So hers was more reasonable. Then I do I do a lot of free webinars here and there. But I find the biggest thing you can do free webinars all day. It's actually doing what you learn. Yeah. You know, you can learn and learn and learn, but you have to actually do that. Yes. So I'm actually trying to learn a bit less and be more diligent on implementing the things I already do know. And just to kind of wrap up the podcast, what are I always like to leave the podcast with some key action steps that people can take, some little things that you found made a profound difference either in um, just organizing yourself and getting new leads, in making things easier. What are some of the things that people could leave with today, literally get off the podcast and say, okay, here's my action step for today? Um, well, in terms of what I was just talking about, like getting things done, a big one that worked for me was, you know, you can't, you can't have 
like you can as a vision, but you can't have super long-term goals because something that I want to achieve in five years, I'm not going to be motivated to do those little pieces every day for the five years. So looking at things that you can realistically achieve in the next two weeks and getting them done and then you get momentum from getting those done and seeing results. So be it you want to grow your Facebook page, like posting consistently for two weeks, seeing the difference, keeping track in a spreadsheet, what's going on, seeing those differences, you know, networking with certain practitioners, consistently you can't just go meet someone for coffee once and think that's going to become a relationship so really almost like and I can see why people hire a business coach because it's almost like a personal trainer like I know what to do at the gym but you need that appointment to go do that at the gym yeah so even forming an accountability partnership with like a colleague or something so that you can say to them did you do x y and z that you were supposed to do this week yeah. So it's actually, most people know what to do. It's just doing it. And it's just like our patients. It's just like the people we're treating. Yeah. We all know what we're supposed to do, but we need somebody else to tell us and kick our butt and make uh-huh. us accountable, right? Yeah. And I find too, when you're new, it's easy to want to learn and learn and learn, but yes. more implementing what, learn one thing, implement it. And you do know more than you, like, I still feel like I don't know a lot sometimes, but you do know more, you know more than your patient. So you still do know what you're doing, but just, you know, developing that framework, especially in the early going, developing that framework for your visits and having that process too, you were saying earlier, which I agree with having that process earlier, you know, I do this and visit one, I do this and visit two, uh, immune systems come, immune symptoms are coming up, immune season, these sorts of things. It takes a lot of the pressure off you too, because when you're not busy, it's easy to spend 30 minutes an hour on each patient researching. But when you're booked eight hours, you don't have time for that. So you have to have that systemized process to know what you're going to do. Absolutely. Any final words that you have for people that are listening that are just getting started, they're in it, they're hustling? (laughs) It'll get better. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. And then you'll look back and be like, how did I do this? (laughs) (laughs) And if people want to get in touch with you, where are some of the best places to go? Um, my website is www.ecochicmovement.com and the Facebook page, if you want to go on there and check out, you know, some of the stuff I do on there, it's, uh, on Facebook and then Eco Chic Movement. And my email is fairly simple. It's just alexis at ecochicmovement.com. Well, thank you so much for being on the show thank and sharing you. with us the realities of what it's like <laughs> to run two businesses at once. Um, I will have all of Alexis's, Alexis's, that sounds so strange, (laughs) links on the website, maximizedbusiness.ca. So definitely check out the show notes there. Uh, If you want someone to hold you accountable and help you with the beginning steps or getting your business rolling, definitely contact me. I would love to be your business coach and hold you accountable and sort of share what I've learned um, throughout my time in business. And you can contact me on the website again, maximizedbusiness.ca. This is Andrea Maxim with the Profitable Practice Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Leave your reviews and I'm out. You guys are killer. Thank you as always for listening to the Profitable Practice Podcast. Leave me a comment and if you haven't already, I would love a review in iTunes. Definitely subscribe to this podcast and leave me a quick review. For those ready to maximize your practice, contact me at www.maximizedbusiness.ca.